Our precious Father, we want to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather this morning to worship you, to have fellowship with you, and to listen to your word. We pray, Lord, Spirit is saying to every Christian in this hour, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stay at your light. It's about uh, evangelism. It's about soul winning. In Matthew five sixteen. In Matthew five sixteen. It says. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds, let my good deeds shine out for all to see it. Reason is so that everyone will praise our heavenly Father who uh, is in heaven. So the scripture teaches us that it's very, very important very, very important that the Christian understands that one of the assignments he has on earth is to preach the gospel. It's to preach the gospel. Brother, I'm telling you, we, we're not here permanently. We're not here permanently. The value of our life mostly is what? The value of our life uh, is what God uses it to do. This is bouncing too much in my ears. Can you please tune it down? So the value of our life is what God does with our lives. What God does with my life and what God does with your life. Those are the things that will remain when we leave this earth. Because every tree planted by God cannot be uprooted. So it's important that we know that one of the reasons that we live to worship him and is to do his will. And God wants people saved. People died for saved. He gave his son for people to be saved because he loves everyone. And it's our responsibility to take the gospel to people. And then the scripture tells us that the preaching of the gospel is an ageless assignment. We can't change it. We can't shy away from it. We can't deny it. The preaching with the mouth is one of the very important assignments that God has given you and given me. In First uh, Corinthians one twenty-one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased God. It's what pleases God that by the foolishness of preaching it saves them that believe. It pleases God. It pleases God. It's God, something that pleases God when we preach the gospel because God's designed that through this foolishness of preaching, people will be saved when they simply believe it. When they simply believe it. So if we want to really do the things that please God, we need to really look at what the scripture is saying, that it pleases God. God is so pleased that by the foolishness of preaching, because it looks foolish, it's just mere words. But God says, that's what I used to, to save people. And if it pleases God, then it is, an, it is something that God wants the church to do 
or continuously. There is no change to that. There is no. We just have to preach it. Because God says, that's the way I will save the lost. By preaching the gospel. By preaching the gospel. It's not something that belongs to a different age. It belongs to eternity. Preaching the gospel is what the church must do until Jesus comes. And then in, in um, 1 Corinthians 1.23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We simply preach Christ crucified. That's all the message God gave us. That's all the message God gave us. Christ crucified. And the Bible says that's the power of God. That's the wisdom of God. Nothing else. That's why the scripture says it looks foolish. But it pleased God that this, through this foolish message to save people. And if you add to it, that's not the gospel. If you remove from it, that's not the gospel. Christ crucified. Period. That's the message. In Acts 4.12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any order, so there is no other person to preach except Christ crucified. There's no salvation in any order. There's no salvation in any method. There's no salvation in anything a man does. There is no salvation, brethren, in anything a human being does. There is no salvation in any ritual you do. Christ crucified. If there was no shedding of blood, all our sins will remain. There's no other story to tell. Except Christ and him crucified. Because there's no salvation in any order. We must understand this because the enemy is very good at corrupting things. And when he corrupts these things, it becomes mainstream church thing. People copy without going to the scripture to find out if this really what the scripture says we should do. And so there is no salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That you took holy communion doesn't save you. Baptism in water is not a name that saves you. That you pray doesn't save you. So only one name that says amen. That's Jesus. The power of God and the wisdom of God. That you join the church doesn't save you. Christ crucified. The work of the cross. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the son of God, even to them that believe on his name. Christ crucified, and they believe on his name. Then they are not born, not of blood, not the will of flesh, not the will of men. They are not born of God. Simple. I was asking somebody who somebody passed in their family, and I was talking about that, and I said, was he really saved? He said, well, you know, pastor, he, used to, he was doing very good works in the village. I said, sir, was he saved? And I, I, if I tell you who I'm talking with, it will shock you. These people lead people. They lead people. And I'm saying, sir, was he saved? Oh, he said, you know, he used to do a lot of good work. I said, sir, was he what? Saved.
Acts 16 30. What must we do to be saved? And brought them out and said, Sirs, what should I do to be saved? And they said, Look at what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And thy house. That's it. We preach Christ crucified. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. People think it's foolish. God says, it pleases me to save people without foolishness. Just say it like that. Why am I saying this? Because up until now, a lot of people still don't understand what salvation is. Don't understand what they think is going to church. You ask somebody, say, are you saved? They say, ah, I did go to this church. That's not salvation. That means he's not saved. He's not saved. He doesn't know what it is. You can be a member of a church and not be saved. And I dare say, there are a lot of people who go to Pentecostal churches who are not saved. Even pastors who are not saved. I mean, you ask somebody, is this man saved? He said he's doing good works. Doesn't it raise a red flag immediately? If you go to this house and I ask you how you got here, you don't know how you got here, something is wrong. It means you didn't even come here. I mean, I'm telling you, I say, how did you go to that church? Then you start telling me a road that leads to Newark. It means you didn't know the road to this church. You didn't come here. And I'm saying this because, brethren, except a man is born again, he shall not, what, see the kingdom of God. So let's see, look at this example in Acts 8, 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and Enoch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, then you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all. No other name. Except that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the into water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord called Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The Holy Spirit said, "You're done. Out you go. You're done. That's it. Simple message." Then the Scripture tells us. That another powerful way is to let Christ use us as a proof of salvation. To let, let Jesus Christ use me and use you as a proof of salvation. Because in this skeptical world, Jesus Christ is being judged every day. He's looking for witnesses to stand for him and say you are the Christ truly. That's why we're you're only a witness in a court. The skeptical world, looking at Jesus, making fun of him. But he said, I need people to stand out there to be witnesses, to be proof. Proof. That I came here and I saved their lives. Allowing Jesus to use me and to use you as a witness to a skeptical world. First Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. 
verse 13. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Verse 14. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. 15. This is a trustworthy saying then. And everyone should accept it. Why should I accept it? Paul, why? And Paul said, this is why. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinner. He said, that's why I should. I'm standing here as a prime example. As the how Jesus transformed my life into what it is now. He said, this is, therefore, everyone should accept it because I am his witness. He's using me now to show to everybody that this is what he came to do. This is what he did in my life. You know, people who advertise products, they show you the product. They show you the product. If you watch car, I don't watch television. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, but I, I don't. I don't have time. I don't, I don't watch. If I watch. If I ever watch, it's YouTube, and if I watch YouTube, I found it, something that interests me. I watch a villages. Villages in Switzerland, villages in Germany, villages, that's what I watch. And then, if I have time, animals. But, you know, you see some of these uh, advertisements, they're advertising a car. One thing they do is they, they show you the car at top speed. They don't let you see the details of the car. So you are seeing the car at top speed. Sham, it has passed. And then they put the name. And they know, you know, they, they want you to decide before you see the details of the car. So you come back. What I'm trying to say is that they show the product. We are the products. Can I hear amen? We are the products, brother. We are God's products. But God is not rushing it through. Paul said, I'm here. He's using me to show you that this is true. He says, he says in verse 16, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. But I am his product. So I'm not giving you any other reason except me. You know, our lives can work against the gospel too. Romans 14, 15. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruins someone for whom Christ died. Something as simple as eating, the Holy Spirit said, please, don't use it to destroy somebody for whom Christ died. And then the other thing is knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge. That you have right knowledge, you need wisdom. But sometimes you need to shut up that you know something doesn't mean you must say it. You, you don't have to. As a pastor, I, I, you know, I hear people say things and do things, contributions, and I know it's wrong. I don't always say it. God has given me that understanding and grace. Keep quiet. Just keep quiet. Because you may not be the vessel God will use. 
to bring a correction to the person. But when we have knowledge, sometimes it puffs us up. You must correct immediately. You must say it immediately. You must correct them. Oh, I got to correct them. Until nobody wants to hear you. And the Bible says, even if you have knowledge, love trumps that knowledge. Act in such a way to preserve the faith of somebody else. Don't use your knowledge to destroy people. There's a way you present facts to people. And they say defy. There's a way you present facts to people. It's insulting. It's very insulting. Demeaning. I didn't know all of this before. I used to be extremely crude. Very crude. Until the Lord began to teach me this things, And he told me, he said, you're very carnal. He said, I've waited for you a long time to grow out of this carnality. The patience of God with us. I used to talk like that to my wife, to my children, everybody. Because I didn't know it was wrong. I to assert myself because I know it's right. Because this, and argument, we will see God, I mean, you speak, I speak, talk, we argue. And I realized that the Bible calls it foolishness. And it doesn't produce anything except quarreling. And that's true. So even, under, even knowledge should be used wisely. Wisely. In 1 Corinthians 8, 11. So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed now. Yeah, I was going out with my wife. We're going to somewhere. Very, and time constraint, really. Because very, very important place. And then I asked my wife, I said, can I have an extra 12 minutes before the time? And she said, honey, I can't even get ready. I said, I understand. I really understand why. I do understand. If you marry the woman, you know they need more time to put their hair on and wear up. It takes me five minutes to dress up. For any woman, you can multiply that by any number you want. So, and my wife is not somebody who does a lot of makeup and does, no, she's not. But I said, okay, honey, I'll wait for you. And I waited. And I've learned never to hurry my wife. The Lord told me, honor your wife all the time. And I've learned. He says, she's a woman and you are not. She's a woman and you are not. And I made her a woman. Respect my work. So I've learned to keep quiet. I said, honey, it's okay. And then we got into the car. And I said, we are running late, 18 minutes late. Say, honey, please, can you just not say that? Something said to me, shut up. It's not a defy. I stopped. Before I would have continued to say, to remind her of the late word. But it wasn't really her fault, to be honest with you. It wasn't really her. This things massage our ego. You know, massage is our pride. <laughs> Because you are correct, it's wrong. You promote your own being correct and highlight her own being wrong. At the end of the day, you are more wrong than she is. I'm just trying to let us see that knowledge is no guarantee to, to, talk, to, deal, to, to, to deny somebody love and edification. Because we are witnesses. That Jesus said, I've saved him from that kind of life. Look at the way he talks now. He can be patient with you. He can be loving and patient. I, I took my wife and another sister to shop right. After that, I, I said, God, now I have patience. 
Because to take one to shop and take two, ah, you must have patience. Because they'll remove, bring this one, check the price, put it down. Check the other price, the difference is five cents. I was spent 13 minutes looking for, I was there. It's Lord, I worship you. I have patience. Like a sheep to the slaughter, I will not open my mouth. I succeeded, I passed. I didn't, God is really gracious. So what I'm trying to say, that, that is even far better than throwing tantrums and doing stuff like that. You can discourage even your wife. And by such behavior, you can discourage your children. You can. And they stop going to church. They don't see the need. They don't see the difference. Because of superiority of knowledge. We shouldn't be people who do stuff like that. No, it doesn't pay. So we are instructed to let our light so shine. So shine. So we don't have to display all this outward show of worship. Now, what, what the scripture is saying when it says, let your light so shine. It's not, that, it's not the type of the Pharisee thing. You know the Pharisees, want, they want people to see that they are good. That's not what God is. That kind of seeing you are good does not even work with God. Because anything the Spirit of God does not anoint, is waste of time. It's waste of time. You can preach from here till Monday. If it doesn't anoint it, it's waste of time. Anything you do that doesn't have divine approval is waste of time. Totally waste of time. And there's no use in getting involved in things like that. Because it will be on the foot. And so, so it's not the Pharisee type we're talking about. In Matthew 23, 5. That all their work, all their works, all of them, they do to be seen by men. That's not what God is talking about now. Because that one is drawing attention to yourself. It's not drawing attention to Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is First Thessalonians 1.8. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you <clears throat> to people everywhere. Even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Everywhere we go, they're talking about you people. What are they talking about? Your faith. These, these people were not trying to be seen by men. They were just living their lives. Their faith can be seen. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, faith in Christ can be seen. Faith in Christ can be seen. I recently got a letter from our big boss. And in that letter he said, Pastor, I admire your faith in Christ. He wrote it there. He said, I really admire your faith in Christ. It can be seen. You don't have that advertise it, it can be seen. You don't advertise light, it can be seen. Christ can be seen. Faith in him can be seen. He said, everybody, we don't have to preach again. He said, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. They didn't have any pulpits. Even beyond Macedonia and Akaf, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it again. You preached it all. Action speaks louder than words. Now, how do we live a sustained life of Christ? This is really my sermon today. This is introduction. How do we live a sustained life of Christ? You know, we, we, we hear, and all of us must have, 
mostly growing up as a Christian, I've always heard obey God. Obey God. Obedience is the key. And it is the key. It's important that we do obey God. And every Christian should know that. But I've heard it from the day I got saved many, many years. I'm sorry to tell you, it didn't change my life. It didn't. And I didn't see anybody change his life. Yeah, I know I should obey God, but nobody taught me how. Just a how. That is the missing link. It's a how. That's the missing link. Because if we all is there anybody here who doesn't know we should obey God? The question is, at what, what percentage do we now achieve on our daily basis? There are things that we shouldn't be doing, we are still doing. We've been struggling with them. They are still there. If I get getting worse, aren't we supposed to be free? Didn't the Bible say that if the Son of Man shall set you free, you are what? Indeed. So I've heard this obey God, obedience. Awesome, wonderful. But what I'm trying to say here, it didn't change me. I'm sorry, I didn't see anybody change. Colossians 2.20 You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world such as don't handle this, don't test this, don't touch this, that's how I was brought up. By rules of obey God, don't do this, a Christian should not do this, a which we should all know and we shouldn't do. That is true. Absolute truth. Nobody should deny that. But how? Verse 22. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that the Torah has produced in verse 23. These rules may seem wise, because they require strong devotions, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in, in, in conquering a person's evil desire. These things don't provide any help in conquering evil desires when they come. All that obey God thing will disappear. It will disappear, I'm telling you. When the anger comes, it takes you. Whatever it is. So Paul also was frustrated like I was Frustrated because I know my wife will tell you how many years we lived and people thought was awesome, but they didn't know that we were not. We were not. We quarrel and quarrel and quarrel. Immediately we get to church, we put on the church cloth. That's my bros. Good morning, people. Especially if we saw our leaders, oh man, we were angels. I was, I don't know about how we were. I was. It didn't work. And I didn't enjoy one single victory in any area of my life. In fact, things went south. I was no testimony at all. Nothing. But I was church goer. And then Paul had the same frustration in Romans seven fourteen. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. Yeah, the trouble is not obeying God because we should. What God says to do is spiritual and is good. We should do that. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. 
I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right. Yes, every Christian wants to do what, who doesn't want to do what is right. Brethren, can you relate with this? A lot of times you want to do what is right. You determine you don't do it. It doesn't even last two days. Then we should obey God. That's what we should do. He said, I don't really understand myself, but I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. In verse 24, then came this frustration. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul was honest. One of the things that will help us is to be sincere with ourselves. To be honest with yourself. Don't hide your weaknesses. Don't hide your failures. If you do, you won't change. I'm telling you now. It's called pride. Paul was honest. He said, man, I'm really, really miserable here. I'm not succeeding. This is not working for me. You know, Jesus said that a sick person is the only one that needs who? Physicians. But if you say you're well, he will leave you alone. So Paul was very, very frustrated. But in verse 25, Paul found how? Verse 25 said, thank God now, the answer is in Jesus Christ. Can we say that together? The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's say it one more time. The answer is in so Jesus is the how? He is the way. He is the solution to this frustration. Frustration. Now, before we see how Jesus is the answer, let's even understand ourselves. Because we have three parts, and everybody knows this. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit. Number one is spirit. Number two is what? And soul. Number three is what? And body. Number one is what? Spirit. Number two is what? Number three is what? I want you to, I want to hear you. Number one is what? Spirit. Number two is what? Soul. Number three is what? Body. So each one of us has these three components in us. Now let's look at the body. I was talking about it. I don't know how many of you that listen to the Bible studies. But I was talking about it because if you don't get this, guidance of the Holy Spirit will be difficult for you. I'm not kidding you. You, you continue to be confused. It will be very difficult for you. And that's the way you really do the will of God is by being led of the Spirit of God. So the body from the earth and not spiritual at all by nature. And that's why you don't see angels. You don't see, you don't hear into the spirit world because this body is not designed to contact the spirit world. It's only designed to contact this natural world. You have it because you are on earth now. The day you leave this earth, it, decay, it, it, it crumbles and get up. You don't need it outside here. So angels can pass here. You will see them because this, this eye was not designed to see them. You will hear them. It's not designed to be. It's natural. It's from this earth. Look at its nature in Romans 7, 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh now. Now we need, we need to know this, the nature of this, our body. Dwell it no good thing, for to will is present with me, yeah? It's present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I, I find not. See what I'm saying? The how. He said, I didn't know how. 
but to will, yes, I want to, I don't even have, verse 19. For the good that I would do, I do not, but the evil which I would, that which I will not, that I do. Now I do, I do that I will not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I will do good, there is present with me something evil. The body, the house in which you live is evil. Paul said, I found out that this thing, this my body is really evil. It won't let me do what I want to do. In Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. That's our body. That's my body. That's your body. It never did obey God's law. Never. And it will, and never will. Never will. It's not going to happen. Never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Brethren, the how. If that we don't understand that our flesh is playing a major role in what we are doing. We don't get it. Because we just live, I'm a Christian, Christian. But these things don't even show up in our radar. They don't show up in our thinking. We think it's not important. But that's, that's what happens to everybody. Paul said, this thing, this thing, this, I found out, this thing is really a body of sin. And this thing will never obey God. It's not going to. It will never. Galatians 5, 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil. That's all it wants to do. That's all it wants to do. It wants to do evil. Then your soul, let's talk about the soul. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Your soul, your nature, your heart. The scripture is this heart for it. The scripture is this heart for soul and heart for spirit sometimes. But what the scripture is saying here is that there's part of you from which all your decisions are made. Your intellect, your emotions come from there. It is your so, it is your heart. The spirit, the soul, the body. The body is evil, sinful. The soul is where the decision is made, but you know your soul is not saved. The only part of me that was saved is my spirit. My soul is not saved. It's not saved. So the Bible says it needs to be saved. Why, is it, why does it need to be saved? Because up until you knew Christ, you didn't know God. So your soul was filled with with knowledge that has nothing to do with God. It was controlled by that. Look at, look at, look at that. In Romans, uh, uh, I mean, in Ephesians 4, 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. That's the heart of a man who doesn't know Christ. It's full of darkness. They, because Christ is the light, it's full of darkness, they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You see, their soul is filled with darkness. And when you come to Christ, you don't know anything. So your soul needs to be saved. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be renewed. If you have an old furniture, you renew it and make it new. So our soul needs to be saved. James 1.21 Wherefore lay apart all fitness and superfluity of nothingness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And then let me say that if my soul is not saved, listen to me. If my soul is not saved, I don't care how many times you hear obey God, you won't. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. That's the problem. 
Oh, must we beg God? But how? The Bible says there's no transformation unless the mind is first of all what? Renewed. That's how it works. The mind has to be renewed. The soul needs to be You need to bring to the soul the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You need to bring the light into it. If you are awake, shout hallelujah. Am I communicating to you? Now, if your flesh controls your soul, game over. You can sit up there and be talking about how to obey God. You will not be able. Because the Bible says that the flesh will never obey God. So what is controlling you will never obey God. So we're talking about obeying God. You will never. Because it's controlling the very center from which your decisions are made. And listen to me. Many Christians don't have renewed mind. Say how? Because they, they flip the flesh all the time. That's why people don't change. 20 years after salvation, the same things they were known for before they got saved, they are still doing it. So what's this? how can I present myself to anybody as an evidence when I haven't changed? Oh, I want to do well, Lord. Oh, I cry sometimes. Sure, Paul did. But what is controlling if your flesh is controlling your mind, my brothers and sisters, the flesh will never obey God. You will never. You will want to, but you can't. You'll be ruled by anger and wrath and iniquity and gossiping. No matter how you do, no matter how no matter what you do, what is holding you is evil. It's sin by nature. It does not obey God. It's controlling your heart. Whatever you do, that's the dominant thing in your life. That thing will continue to manifest in your life. A Christian should obey God. Sure, yeah. Oh Lord, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. Ah, but something is dominating your mind. Without that mind being saved from that thing that is dominating it, there's no transformation. It's not going to happen. Can I hear amen? Chibuza, can you come here? I want to show you something. It's very important. Come over. Let the whole world see both of us. Now, if this is my flesh, listen to me. I want to obey God. But this man has me. I want to obey God. But this man is controlling. I want to obey God. At the end of the day, this is the man manifesting in my life. He doesn't, I'm not talking of him as a person. The Bible says he will never obey God. He will never, never. And he's the one manifesting all that anger and all that wrath and all that gossip and all that, all that pride. This is his nature. This is who he is. He's controlling my soul. And from my soul comes everything about me. He even goes to church with me. Because in church, I won't even listen to the ushers too. In church, I'm troubled. This is the man that goes to church with me. In the family, he controls me. My soul needs to be saved from him. Can I hear him? And until he's saved, no matter where you go, this is the man people will be seeing, not Jesus. 
That's why the Bible says that if you walk in the spirit, you don't need the law. You don't need the law. Because now we see what the spirit can do. Let us read Romans 5, 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You see, when that carnal thing gets hold of your soul, even church becomes a drag. Do you know, the backsliding doesn't start, doesn't, it's not a one day thing. The day it started is the day your carnal mind took over your heart. Because it doesn't want God, it doesn't like God. So it says, to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not possible. As long as your flesh is controlling your mind, you cannot please God. You will not be a good witness for Jesus at all. The flesh can witness for Jesus. Verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall, you shall die. You're not going to have fellowship with God. You shall die. But if through the Spirit, through the Spirit, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, the Spirit. The Spirit is the person that God created to do good works. He has the nature of God, has the love of God in him, has Jesus living in him. Listen, look up here. This, the Bible says, if you are under the Spirit, then you are not under the what? Under the law. Why? Because this, this man, the Spirit, Jesus lives in him. He has the nature of God, has the life of God, doesn't need the law. By nature, he's perfect. Doesn't need him. By nature, he's perfect. Totally perfect. So, there's no sin in him. Because nature is nature. So, he has the nature of God, life of God, Christ in him, joined to him, become one. He doesn't need the law. By nature, he has the nature of God. So there's no other way he lives the life except that nature of God. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. Look at what the scripture is saying. He has created us anew. In Christ. He's talking about the spirit part of us. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created us new. If any man is in Christ, he's what? He's created us new in Christ. Why? So that we can now do the good things he planned for us longest, so long ago. So that, that that good thing that God planned, the life of Christ, can now manifest through him. I got this scripture uh, from uh, our brother here, Abrobi. Job 32, 8. But there is a spirit in man. But there is a what? Spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. There is a spirit in you that carries the nature of God and gives you understanding. That spirit manifests the nature the life of God. He lives that way. 
He lives that way. In Romans 5, 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how clearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You see, the nature of this new man is love. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, either way Christ's love controls us, sinner, because the nature is love. If it controls your soul, it controls your action with love. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died for to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life those who receive the new spirit, born of the spirit, God's masterpiece creation that has the nature and the life of God. In that man God created, there is no sin in it because it's not flesh. Those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Selfishness is not in that nature. It can't manifest. It's not going to manifest. Because that's not its nature. It has the nature of love. Brethren, I'm, sit, I'm standing here before you people. A man, an African man and a male. I don't know others, but in Africa I'm a man and a male. I can't but behave this way by nature. I don't have to learn it. I, don't, I am a male. <laughs> this is me by nature. There is no other option for me except the, what human beings. That's, that's the way I am made. The new man was made to be like God. The only option he lives, behaves, is like God. There's no other option. There's no other nature he has. That's why the Bible says if you walk by that spirit, you don't need the law. Because this man is, has God's nature, God's character, God's spirit. And you know what God calls him? God. Jesus said, for you are God. If you understand me, say amen. How? Obey God. How? How? In 2 Corinthians 5, I'm still reading, verse 15, he died for everyone for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. 16. So we have stopped. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The life of the Spirit. This is your spirit. This is your spirit. Look at 1 John 5, 18. We know what God's children do. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. Why? For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. How does he hold them? It's by that nature. The thing that makes me a man is my nature. He hold, my DNA holds me securely and I can't, it's, I'm, I just am a man. God's nature holds you securely. By that nature, you, you just can't do any other thing except live that life. So it's not by effort or anything. It's by faith. Faith, faith, faith. Faith in what God did. 
First John 3 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God, born of the Spirit. They can't keep on sinning. God's life is in them. God's nature is in them. That spirit is joined to Christ. So he said now verse 10. So we cannot tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others does not belong to God because that nature is not manifesting. If you have, if you bring a kettle and you pour out water and it's cold water, you tell me it's hot water, there's hot water. I tell you, what you are pouring out is cold water. The Bible says if you are pouring out a different nature, you don't belong to God. And Jesus lives in him. First John 4, 4. You are, God, you are of God, little children. I have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus is living in him, not in your flesh. Romans 8, 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit of God or by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. 10. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit produces life. The life of God in him. And then the thing about this is that the Spirit knows everything. Why? Because the Spirit of God is living in him, witnessing to him about what God is. The Spirit of God is not witnessing to your intellect or your flesh. It's witnessing to him. In 1 John 2.20, but you have an auction that the Spirit of God lives in you from the Holy One, and you know all things. 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he had promised us, even eternal life. Those things have I, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, people that seduce you, but the anointing which you have received of him abided in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and it is true, and there is no lie, even as it had taught you, shall abide in him. This new man knows everything. So if people want to deceive you, if you look up to him, if you really recognize him, he will let you know that this is this. Because the Holy Spirit is living in him, witnessing to him about what is happening from God's point of view. But you know the problem is, we, we disregard him. Romans seven fourteen. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. Paul sees himself as all human. And verse 15, I don't really understand myself. I don't know myself. I think I'm all too human. I'm not conscious of the spirit in me. I am not conscious. All too human. Just Christian. Born again. Born again. There's a spirit in me. There's a spirit in you. Praise the Lord. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we, if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you follow your spirit. Now, walking in the spirit is to follow your spirit. It's to walk by that new nature that God put in you. And spiritual maturity is not title. Spiritual maturity is how much the new man 
awesome creation of God that God created, in whom God lives, that has that nature and life of God. How much is manifesting and controlling your soul is how much spiritual you are. Spiritual development is to develop yourself to the point where the spirit in you that God created is having dominance over your life. So you don't need the law. You don't need the law. You know all things. You don't need the law. You know business people who are Christians miss a lot. Investments people do will miss a lot. This spirit man will, sh- will let you know what you're doing. Let me share this testimony and I'll close with that. You know our brother he was sharing with me why they are just sharing. And he brought up the scripture in Job, in Job that I just read to you that there's a spirit in man that God breathes through him and gives man understanding. He said, he said we have issues where I work. Very serious issues. And God gave me this scripture. You have a spirit in you. You have a spirit in you. He said, I caught this scripture and pasted it at my office. And every day I'll come and look at it. I say, I have a spirit in me that God breathes in. And God, through that spirit, he gives me understanding and guidance. He said, I will do that and focus on it. And all of a sudden, brethren, listen to this. All of a sudden, idea will come to me what to do. That idea is when you acknowledge what God has done in you, that spirit is activated by faith. He starts talking to you, taking control of your soul, saving it from the rotten thing you would have done, making known to your soul the mind of God. And he said, to the extent that our big boss noticed it, and walk into my office. Notice it. There is something coming from you we don't have. God says, you have a spirit in you. Don't neglect it. I created you in your mind. I live in you, not vacation. I live there to walk in you, to direct you. And that spirit does not come in. If you let him leave you, lead you, those that are sons of God do not make a practice of what? Because the Spirit of God lives what? Not by law. It's not that I want to obey God. It's by faith. Praise the Lord. So there's a Spirit in us. Who are you? Paul said, I don't know myself. I thought I'm all human. But Paul discovered, no, if any man is in Christ, it's what? A new creature. Both things are passed away. Born of his spirit. A son of God. A real son of God. Is the one we neglect. And we pay price for it. The Lord will help us in Jesus name. Let's bow our heads to pray. Our precious father. We just want to thank you for. Pointing us to how. How. We want to obey God. But we don't know how. And because of that, our flesh is messing up our testimonies. We throw anger tantrums so easily. Argue here and there. Bear grudge, gossip, selfish, love money more than everything else. We don't even care to find out your will. <laughs> That's the point even. Because carnality will not look for your will. Oh, we do things according to our feeling. If we don't feel good, I don't go to church. I don't feel good today. Oh, yeah, I don't feel good. And our flesh is destroying our lives. Cutting us off from fellowship with you. 
we follow our emotions, follow our feelings, follow our intellect. Never spare a moment to say, God, do you want me to do this? Do you really want me to do this? Never. Never. Because the flesh is controlling us. We are pointing us back to where we should be. So that the glory of Christ will be revealed. Because he's living in us. We can't lock him up. We can't put him at the back burner. We can't ignore him. Because he is who we are. But when he comes to us, see him as he is, we are be like him. We have his nature. We have his spirit. Help us not to neglect him, but to acknowledge him in all our ways so that he can direct our path. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name we pray.